0: Story One of the Hotel d'Angleterre and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Hotel d'Angleterre and Other Stories by Lenoy Falconer. Story One The Hotel d'Angleterre the hotel d'angleterre is well named for though it stands on the shores of the mediterranean with olive groves and orange gardens all around it nevertheless it is as truly british territory as a london street or a devonshire village the visitors are all english or foreigners with english tastes all of good social standing all orthodox in politics as well as in religion but in spite or perhaps even in consequence of all this the hotel is apt to be a trifle dull such was not the case however during that memorable winter when it was enlivened by the bright presence of miss belinda grant before whom dullness vanished as shade before the sun hers was the sparkle of strong vitality she was never tired or languid or bored or indifferent but always up to the mark, if not beyond it, and as she was ever ready to employ this overflowing energy in amusing and even directing her fellows, she was generally esteemed and beloved, especially by that large and supine number who like to have everything, even their thinking, done for them cole the proprietor heartily approved of a guest who with the charades dances picnics and entertainments of every kind which she organized kept all the other visitors alert and amused while her brilliancy and her beauty were the admiration of the whole german swiss staff with two exceptions the concierge a little man with keenly observant eyes which from his post in the hall he had good opportunities of using and suzanne the chambermaid on belinda's own etage the third the concierge said nothing whilst the others sung the praises of this lovely mise and suzanne irreverently spoke of her as a grande gaillarde and of the pleasant stir she made wherever she went as a but then Suzanne was of a moody and even cynical disposition. One day Belinda and her family were late for the meal, which was called either lunch or déjeuner, and served at half-past twelve. The gong had finished its discordant summons. From the various étages the visitors had come trooping down, all the places save three were taken, and the fresh-faced waiters were handing round the first plat when the Grants entered. First came Mrs. Grant's slender and drooping figure, with her timid and uncertain step. Behind her advanced Belinda, with her usual splendid poise and self-possession. Last of all sauntered in the tired-looking young girl whom every one spoke of as poor little Joan. "'Have you been for a walk, Miss Grant?' asked Mrs. Cole, the placid mother of a large bevy of rosy-faced damsels, who sat opposite to the Grants. "'No,' said Belinda, with her charming smile, "'I have not been out this morning. Mama, dear, you must have some Pilsner. "'Joan, I insist upon your eating some of this. It is good for your headache. "'The fact is, Mrs. Cole, I have been busy ever since I got up, telephoning all over the place for two south rooms.' and can you not find them dearest miss grant cried miss tucker an elderly lady who was the most fervent of all belinda's admirers no at least not two rooms the hotels are crammed the rooms have all been engaged weeks ago but cole has managed to give me one south room and one that looks west both on our own etage and we must make that do you want them for friends i suppose yes for very old friends of mamma's sir walter and lady Montford. at this last phrase which belinda pronounced very distinctly indeed something like a thrill seemed to pass through her audience sir walter had been heard of before he belonged to that interesting class the eligibles so poorly represented at oliviera everybody looked pleased except the two bachelors of the hotel old admiral hunt and young mr smith lady Montford is a great invalid went on belinda she is coming here for the good of her health and her son comes with her to keep her company he must put up with a west room at this time of the year At what is this a telegram it was and from england mrs grant to whom it was addressed opened it with evident trepidation and then with a perplexed look handed it to belinda the message which she did not read aloud was from lady montford and ran thus are drains and water safe after lunch in her mother's room where they generally sat and which belinda had decorated with pictures and knick-knacks she composed an answer as satisfactory as it was terse perfect i suppose they are said mrs grant a little doubtfully when it was read to her of course why should they not be said belinda next day a more puzzling question arrived is climate relaxing or bracing which does she prefer asked belinda and was a little displeased because her mother could not tell her however with great tact she telegraphed back invigorating one more telegram to say she had changed her mind and would not come and then another to say she had changed it again and would completed this prelude to lady montford's arrival i suppose there is some kind of a dower house where she could live when he married said belinda thoughtfully the day the montfords were expected she sat with her mother drinking afternoon tea as all the english loyally did at Alviera, squeezing it in with some difficulty between the midday dejeuner and a six o'clock dinner mrs grant did not know i wish mamma you occasionally knew something i asked you well you see dear i was only at brookdean once thirty years ago when you and sir walter were both babies i don't think there is the least occasion to remember anything about that no dear certainly of course i beg your pardon what i meant to say was that we were there such a very short time i was sorry for it is a beautiful place such a picturesque house and such fine views but your dear papa and lady montford did not get on well he did not approve of people giving way to illness never having had a day's illness himself he could not bear my not coming down to breakfast even when i was seriously unwell so of course he was rather shocked at lady montford's way of constantly going to bed i mean for quite little things like being tired or sneezing i should think so and pray what did her own husband say to it oh he said nothing but the kindest and most sympathetic things oh what a good husband he was i never met such an unselfish kind-hearted man they say the son is just like him and quite as patient with his mother that is all very well but i hope he is not so patient as to wish to have her in the house after he married because i-i mean nobody would be able to put up with that by the by where is joan all this time what has happened to her one of those small things one remembers all one's life had happened to joan she was sitting in the big window of the deserted salon thoroughly enjoying the solitude and the silence and dividing her attention between the book on her knee and the view outside they were both poems beyond the green and gold of the orange trees on the terrace beyond the red roofs of the town below she saw a band of liquid blue vivid as the petal of a forget-me-not dark as a midsummer night above which floated a chain of mountains or rather the ghosts of mountains shaped out of softest violet-coloured vapour it was like a mosaic of jewelled stones on such a radiant afternoon as this was ah yes thought joan shifting a little the heavy volume of shakespeare on her lap the world is quite as beautiful as the poets say but life is very different there is nothing poetical or romantic about that and as to falling in love like the girls always do in plays and stories it is impossible the real men are all so commonplace looking. Hardly had she formed this conclusion when, looking up, she saw through the window, standing between the primulas on the doorsteps, a tall, fair young man, as handsome and even romantic looking as Ferdinand himself might have been. And yet he wore a tweed suit and a wide awake hat, and carried a bundle of railway wraps. Joan, transfixed with surprise, continued to stare at him, mechanically repeating to herself, with quite a new perception of them, the words she had just been reading, I might call thee a thing divine, for nothing natural I ever saw so noble. Till suddenly he looked up at her. Then Joan fled, startled, as if she had seen a ghost, so completely and in an instant had her theory of life been overturned it was sir walter montford who had just stepped out of the long omnibus from the station he was thinking of anything but poetry or romance being responsible for the luggage including all the rugs baskets and umbrellas which lady montford herself was too ill and west the maid too bewildered to count yet he saw and noticed with a passing thrill of compassion the little face at the window so wan and so wistful-eyed in the hall, which bright colours and gilding and flowers made so gay, the dapper Herr Cole himself received the newcomers and forthwith conducted them to what he called the lift. He observed politely as they started that Madame and Mademoiselle Grant waited on the third étage to welcome them. How very inconsiderate cried Lady Montford just when it is so important after all this fatigue that i should not be over excited if i am not extremely careful i shall have had a bad night and that is a thing i cannot stand west i hope you have the tea things ready where you can get them at once i have not taken anything for nearly three hours now and i must not allow myself to get low or but at this instant the lift stopped the door opened and in the doorway appeared a tall and beautiful blonde who in ringing accents bade them welcome to oliviera mrs grant too was there but she was very glad to leave belinda to do the honours with her customary grace and animation she introduced lady Montford to her south room with a gracious speech none the less fluently delivered because the person to whom it was principally addressed was too busy superintending west's preparations to pay even the semblance of attention well mother said sir walter somewhat disturbed himself by this scene i will leave you because i know you liked to be alone after a long journey you won't come down to table d'hote but we shall meet i hope miss grant they did meet on the staircase as the gong was sounding when behind belinda looking beautifully pink and white in her shimmering black gown crept a young girl most unbecomingly attired whose sweet tired face sir walter instantly recognized my sister joan said belinda carelessly but by no means careless was his acknowledgment of the introduction his manners are as beautiful as himself thought joan sidling shyly away from him and averting her eyes as if from some distasteful object will you sit between mamma and me said belinda the request sounded like a royal one and as such he obeyed it while down the lighted table all eyes turned curiously in his direction meantime a long procession of waiters bearing dishes appeared and dinner began as they worked slowly through it belinda talked on in her easy lively way a good deal about herself she liked lawn tennis riding and all active sports and never knew what it was to be tired she was very fond of reading too though for that she had but little time and delighted in music painting scenery In fact everything beautiful as to traveling she was she said devoted to it and uh, do you enjoy traveling too mrs grant he asked at last curious to hear the voice and opinion of some other member of the family mrs grant's delicate white face flushed slightly as after a few moments hesitation she answered timorously that she was too old to appreciate it as much as her daughter Mamma enjoys it very much, said Belinda, her own blooming cheek turning a deeper rose, and she has improved wonderfully in health since we left home. It was on her account I came here. I think delicate people should always travel. It prevents them thinking too much about themselves. Besides, if one always stays at home, one gets so narrow-minded." yes but it is very comfortable what staying at home yes and being narrow-minded but before belinda had decided what he could mean everybody rose and they all left the dining-room in the big drawing-room sir walter was introduced to the grants especial friends they were all very gracious to him except admiral hunt who was never gracious to anybody and Mr. Smith, who viewed him with pardonable dislike in a field where he had been hitherto without a rival. The ladies praised Alvira to him, and still more ardently lauded Dear Miss Grant. She keeps my girls perpetually amused, said Mrs. Cole, knitting placidly the while in a deep armchair. Ah, she is getting up a round game. Will you join it? sir walter looking carefully around the room and observing that the little pale girl had vanished said he must go and see how his mother was getting on she was not getting on at all the sheets were insufficiently aired there was a dangerous draught from the window with a strange earthy smell in the passage and last but not least her hot milk had not been cooked to the exact temperature which she desired i will see the cook to-morrow mother and tip him and there is another thing walter about which we must come to an understanding i cannot have that woman running in and out of my room all day what woman mother That uh, miss grant the big one with the high colour the little one i do not mind and the mother was always an inoffensive person but if i were to see much of the eldest she would drive me into a fever her voice you know how sensitive i am to voices her voice goes through me like a knife and she presumes to tell me what i had better do and what i had better not do i who have made a study of my health for years ah well the cook i can tackle but i really cannot undertake to suggest to miss grant that any one can have too much of her company very well then i must manage it myself i must just give her a hint miss grant i will say do not trouble to inquire after my health so often for in the present state of my nerves the less i see of all but very intimate friends the better Hmm, that will certainly be explicit i am afraid you don't appreciate miss belinda grant she is the idol of the hotel they all worship her you don't mean to tell me walter that you admire her how could i help admiring her that was indeed the prevailing impression at the hotel d'angleterre everybody high and low prepared to watch the development of a love affair the servants were divided in opinion as to whether the hero and heroine were already betrothed or no the concierge affirmed that they were not and never would be and suzanne was understood to hope the same out of pity as she declared for an unfortunate young man already sufficiently afflicted by a mother like number eighty-seven who ate like an ogre and demanded every hour impossible things meantime belinda with even more than her usual zeal was providing for sir walter's entertainment and a series of picnics filled up the first two or three days of his visit and if the ungracious truth must be confessed considerably bored him one morning strolling out from the salle à manger where he had been eating a substantial english breakfast he saw joan standing at the table where all day long the concierge distributed stamps change and advice to the visitors you are better to-day he said as he shook hands with her her face was less colourless than usual her eyes a little wider open proved to be blue instead of grey and her lips as she answered him curved into a smile oh yes i am quite well another stamp please for italy this time mamma and i are going to have a nice long afternoon together indeed where only here you know belinda and all of you are going to Terreville to see the pottery are we yes don't you remember belinda arranged it last night mamma does not go for long drives and there is no room for me AND YOU ARE IN GOOD SPIRITS AT GETTING RID OF US ALL? JOAN LOOKED A LITTLE CONFUSED. Oh NO, NOT AT ALL, SHE SAID. THEN, AS IF SHE FELT SHE WERE GETTING INTO A DIFFICULTY, SHE MUTTERED SOMETHING ABOUT BELINDA WAITING AND RAN OFF. BY THE TIME SHE HAD REACHED THE NEXT étage, HER EMBARRASSMENT WAS FORGOTTEN, FOR SIR WALTER, STANDING WHERE SHE HAD LEFT HIM, COULD HEAR HER HUMMING A LITTLE SONG. When he could hear it no longer, he turned away with a slight start, like one who has been dreaming, and then observed the concierge's eyes fixed upon him. When the gong sounded for déjeuner that day, the rain was falling heavily. The concierge met Belinda at the foot of the stairs. "'You will not require the fiacres this afternoon, I suppose, mees?' "'Certainly I shall.' Pardon me, I thought perhaps the weather. And Mrs. Cole, she said, you would not go. We are going. Send for the Fiacres again, if you have countermanded them. Mrs. Cole, she cried. Directly she took her place opposite that lady. Do I hear you want to give up the expedition to Terreville? Well, my dear, I thought perhaps it was so wet you... Uh, but but does it matter whether it is wet or dry? The carriages can be shut. I hate stopping indoors all day, and when I make a plan I like to carry it out. Don't you, Sir Walter?' "'Certainly,' said Sir Walter, without the faintest notion what she was asking him, having acquired in his mother's company a convenient but dangerous habit of totally ignoring uninteresting talk. Besides, he was wondering where and how Joan intended to spend the afternoon. Belinda prevailed, as she always did, and at half-past two she marshalled her party in the hall and directed them to their places in the fiacres, which stood in a row before the doorsteps in the pouring rain. In the last she was to go herself, with two of the younger coal girls and Sir Walter. The girls had already run giggling down the steps and were waiting for her to follow. But where was he? Coming downstairs very slowly, without either hat or coat on. Not only Belinda's eyes, but those of all the attendant waiters rested on him with amazement. But Sir Walter was blissfully unconscious of the emotions he excited. Sir Walter! exclaimed Belinda. You are not ready? I? he answered rather absently. Oh, no, I'm not going. Then, strolling up to the doorway through which the rain and the wind were beating, he added in the same tone, I hope you won't get wet. Belinda, without answering, ran quickly down toward the fiacre, and as it drove slowly off, he turned away toward the drawing-room. What did I tell you? said the concierge brushing the raindrops from his shoulders it is certainly wonderful said the head waiter but the english no man can understand in the great fireplace in the drawing-room they had lighted a wood-fire which flickered cheerfully sir walter looking in saw mrs grant in a deep armchair beside the hearth the lines of her head and figure suggesting complete and thoroughly enjoyed repose but she was alone. He went back to the hall and wandered up and down till his watching ear heard a step upon the stairs. He could gaze at Joan intently as she came down the last flight, for her eyes anxiously rested on a pyramid of books and boxes which she carried with some difficulty. At the foot of the stairs he came forward to help her. "'Allow me,' he said." But Joan gave a little cry, and the upper part of her pyramid fell in a shower around her. "'Why, I thought you had gone to Terreville,' she said. The least touchy mortals are sometimes ruffled by very little. "'Allow me to carry these things into the salon for you,' said Sir Walter, stooping to collect them, and then I will keep out of your way as completely as if I had gone to Terreville.' joan gasped and grew crimson as she followed him into the salon where he silently deposited his burden why sir walter exclaimed mrs grant at sight of him in tones of amazement mingled with dismay you have not gone to terreville then no i have not i dislike expeditions of all kinds and i think the terreville pottery hideous still i am very sorry to have caused so much disappointment i don't quite understand how my going should have been taken for granted i am certain i never said i was going he left the room and was turning toward the stairs when joan came quickly after him please forgive me she said pantingly breathless with nervousness i did not mean anything rude you quite misunderstood me the effort tinged her whole face with a delicate pink which in some curious way threw into relief the fine lines of her brows and contour, and the violet darkness of her beseeching eyes. "'You see, it is Belinda,' said Joan, in gathering courage a little as his face softened. "'Belinda always understood you were going, and when people do not do as she expects, she does not like it.' "'Oh?' and then of course when belinda does not like things she is uh, i mean uh, it it is not pleasant for mamma don't you see well no i must confess i don't see exactly but it does not matter nothing matters he added with one of those moving changes of tone of which some voices like fine instruments are capable so long as I may understand the sight of me is not hateful to you.' Whereupon the walls of the hall seemed to Joan to grow misty and recede. After that the afternoon went very happily, though Mrs. Grant was visibly dejected. Joan's shyness, for the time at least, had disappeared in the excitement of her great effort, and Sir Walter made the most of the opportunity when at last he succeeded in making her laugh his heart bounded within him but his triumph was still greater when as the afternoon wore on and mrs grant fell into a doze joan began to speak about herself the photographs she was now unfolding and gumming into her album were views of dear dear Delhurst, their english home it was a small and humble home enough to judge by its portraits, nor did the surrounding country appear transcendently beautiful. "'But the air is lovely,' said Joan. "'Mamma and I always feel so well there. Of course Alviara is a great deal prettier. But I am not artistic like Belinda, and I cannot admire things properly when I always feel tired or have neuralgia, as I do here. Belinda does not care for Delhurst and she does not like to see me with those photos some day when she marries Mamma and i will go back to delhurst we will make the garden so pretty and i mean to keep some hens as joan unfolded this magnificent programme she looked straight before her with dilated eyes as if she saw across europe and the sea her chickens and her roses and uh, you will invite me to—' But his words were interrupted by the sound of wheels on the gravel outside, and three fiacres drove noisily up to the hall door. Mrs. Grant awoke with a kind of guilty start and stood up. Joan also sprang to her feet and began hastily collecting her treasures. Belinda's voice and step were heard in the hall, and then she entered—' what here still i thought you would have tea ready by this time mamma you know i think this salon is too draughty for you dear me what a litter pray take it upstairs at once i hope you have had a pleasant afternoon said sir walter but belinda swept from the room without a word if belinda's wrath takes the form of silence thought he i think i can bear it nor was he much dismayed when coming down late to dinner he found the order of their places changed and a chair left vacant for him at some distance from the grants without a pang of regret he heard belinda chattering most pleasantly to mr smith all he now wanted was to carry on his interrupted conversation with joan and that he intended to do directly after dinner when it was over he went with all the others to the hall where the concierge every night distributed the letters which the english mail had brought there was one for belinda and as she opened it he drew near to joan but belinda without waiting to read her letter took her sister off to the salon and set her to play in a round game which lasted till bedtime and so it went on mrs grant and joan were never to be seen save in company with belinda and her look and the tone of her voice when she answered curtly such remarks as he ventured to make to her seemed to draw round all three an invisible but impassable barrier joan it would seem could not even look across it for lack either of courage or desire and her eyes, heavy and wistful, as when he first saw her, were kept steadily averted from him. After three days he began to understand the full disadvantage of displeasing Belinda. At this serious and unexpected hitch there was dismay among all the interested spectators, not excepting the little concierge to whose private and particular theory it was as fatal as to any one's the only person who remained wholly unmoved by it was lady montford too absorbed in discovering whether the air of olviera really suited her or no to have time to take heed of passing events one day some friends mr and mrs loscombe came over from nice to lunch with belinda bringing with them uninvited a third guest at first sight of him belinda was inclined to be displeased for he was not only old and ugly, but he was common-looking, and Belinda could not bear anything common. "'Dearest Belinda!' cried Mrs. Loscombe, "'We have taken the greatest liberty, but you are always so kind and sweet. I know you will forgive us for venturing to bring with us a very intimate friend who is staying with us, Lord Denby.' Upon which Belinda visibly softened. "'He is such a dear,' Mrs. Loscombe whispered to Belinda, as they went in arm-in-arm to déjeuner, "'a widower with no children, very rich, but so shy. We can hardly get him to open his lips.' "'Oh, I can always get on with people like that,' said Belinda, and forthwith made good her words.' and the day after in answer to a pressing invitation from the loscombs she went off to pay them a visit the news was broken that same afternoon to sir walter by miss tucker who was sitting disconsolate in the salon with a railway guide before her gone just when i wanted her so much to decide for me which route i had better go home by is it not miserable without her Lady Montford also made mention of Belinda's departure, but in somewhat different terms. Ah, what a treat it is! No, she never came into my room, but none of these flimsy foreign walls could keep out the sound of her voice. It was going all day long in the next room or in the passage. I shall dine downstairs to-day. We seem lost without Miss Grant, don't we? said Mrs. Cole at dinner sir walter did indeed look as if he were lost in thought a small stringed band which from time to time visited the hotel was going to play that night and under cover of the music and in belinda's absence he hoped to come to some explanation with joan he came out of the reading-room just as the musicians were softly testing their strings before beginning They stood in front of the great centrepiece of statues and ferns, where clusters of lamps glowed above the green, while all around, in the windows and on the stairs, the visitors had grouped themselves to listen. The scene was bright and picturesque and foreign, but Sir Walter surveyed it all in search of one thing, and found it not. He leant against the wall just beside the concierge's table, and waited and watched while the band played their first piece a brilliant overture mrs grant is not here he said inquiringly to mrs cole as the patter of applause died away no she has a headache she has gone to bed i think miss grant observed the concierge in a low voice and with a tact which sir walter did not at the time sufficiently observe or admire she hears the music from upstairs on the third etage the band was playing again this time quick dance music to which sir walter felt as if his pulses kept time however deliberately his feet may have moved as he went upstairs on the first and second landings waiters maids and couriers hung over the banisters listening to the music but on the third floor there was nobody but joan sitting all by herself on the last step the gay measure had now changed to a slower and a sweeter one and joan heard it in something the same spirit in which ten days ago she had looked upon the flower-like blue of the sea but since then her faith in the possibilities of life had widened she found it easy to believe that fate might match the beauty of the loveliest place and season with rapture as supreme not for her however not for her was such bliss but for the strong and beautiful elect of destiny like and then she saw him coming up toward her he looked royally beautiful of course but a little terrible all the same his manner as he returned her timid good evening was cold almost stern "'Miss Grant,' he said, forthwith standing erect and stiff on the step just below her, "'have I offended you in any way?' "Uh, "'Offended? I?' murmured Joan, as if the moth should presume to take umbrage at the star. "'Yes, so I naturally conclude from your manner. For three whole days you have avoided me in the most deliberate, the most marked way.' you would not so much as look at me. An unaccountable thrill of pleasure tempered the distress with which she heard these reproaches. I I was uh, not—how could I uh, be—offended? It was Belinda who was angry. But had I given Miss Grant any reason to be offended? No, No, of course not. Then why, because she was offended, without a cause, should you have been so cruel? There was a sudden change of key toward the close of this sentence. So irresistible was the upward look of the meek and beseeching little face. But he was far from guessing how moved Joan really was, under that tremulous but quiet bearing, by a scene which to him was in part a joke, to her— all grim earnest she answered with little pauses to draw breath between every two or three words mamma wished me not to speak to you if i could possibly help it what have i offended mrs grant oh no not in the least and mamma likes you very much indeed and yet she forbids you to speak to me only because if i had spoken to you it it would have made uh, belinda angry the music below had ceased there was complete silence as sir walter heard and considered this remarkable explanation the domestic situation it suggested was to him simply ludicrous and he knew not with which of the three actors therein to be most impatient HIS FEELINGS FOUND RELIEF IN IRONY. AH! IF MISS GRANT WOULD BE ANGRY, THAT IS A DIFFERENT THING. OF COURSE ANYTHING IS BETTER THAN THAT. I AM SORRY I VENTURED TO APPROACH YOU, AND I SHALL BE CAREFUL NOT TO DO SO AGAIN. DO YOU THINK SHE WOULD OBJECT TO MY WISHING YOU good bye HE DID NOT STIR, HAVING NOT THE FAINTEST INTENTION OF GOING. BUT HOW COULD JOAN KNOW THIS? she looked not up but down now so that he could not see her face perhaps she might even allow us to shake hands since it is an eternal farewell he went on and three exquisite opening chords from below punctuated the terrible words i don't think she would be very angry he added caressingly as he sat down on the step beside joan the better to perform the ceremony then he started violently the child was crying fast ah well after that to use his own words in speaking of it afterward he was a gone coon what he exactly intended to do when he came upstairs has never been made plain what he actually did was to lay himself and all that he possessed at the feet of the little girl he had been taking to task He caught her in his arms, and upbraided himself for having made her weep. He kissed away the tears, and besought her to give him the right for evermore to comfort and protect her, while below the violins seemed to reiterate all he said with sobs of almost human passion. But as the music ended with a dying fall, and he too paused and waited for her answer, a hateful footstep rapidly approaching caused them to draw asunder just before suzanne appeared behind them suzanne whom sir walter rose and faced with not the most welcoming expression did not herself look in the best of humours madame desires to see you she said gruffly joan rose and they both went down the corridor together in silence even at joan's door they could but exchange a cold good night since suzanne was still close behind them pray are you waiting for anything said sir walter impatiently eh mon dieu i am always waiting for something there is no means of doing otherwise with persons so capricious as those who come here "'If monsieur would kindly arrange with madame "'at what hour in the end they do wish to start in the morning.' "'His mother's door was open, and the maid, laden with things, "'was running backward and forward between the room and the trunks outside. "'In the room itself Lady Montford paced up and down, "'surrounded by that disorder which attends a hasty packing-up. "'Walter, where have you been?' she cried at sight of him, we must leave this place by the earliest possible train. Why, what is the matter? From the first moment I stepped out of the train I knew there was something wrong. I said so to you that very night, did I not, West? But one person after another has told me such stories about the place and so misled me that I hardly like to believe my own senses. And now, by the merest chance a most providential chance for me i learn i was perfectly right imagine my feelings when i was told to-night that this air i am breathing and have been breathing for a week now has not a particle of ozone in it oh and who told you this that very gentlemanly and intelligent-looking young man who sat next to me at the table d'hote to-night do you mean mr smith no indeed mr smith is an idiot he assured me the other day when i met him in the garden that the air was bracing i mean that young dark man who arrived to-day he told me a very clever doctor had assured him there was no ozone in the air of olviera until you got i forget how many thousands of feet above the level of the sea far above this hotel in any case ah well perhaps for a short time it does not matter does not matter my dear walter how wildly you talk it is simply death to me to live in a place without ozone dr blind himself has often said to me Whatever you have or don't have, Lady Montfort, you must have ozone, and then sends me here well, the only possible train to Paris leaves at midday to-morrow. I can't exist here till then. Let us go the other way to Genoa by the early train, Mrs. Grant was talking of the other day to Genoa. Are you sure there is any ozone there? oh yes he said there was who dr blind no indeed no more of dr blind for me after this the young man i spoke of assured me the air there is excellent we can go home by turin and the mount sir walter silently contemplated his mother as flight was inevitable genoa was he concluded the best place to retreat to since it possessed at least the signal merit of being but a day's journey from the hotel d'angleterre if only he might have seen joan before he went he suggested that suzanne should carry forthwith a message to miss grant which he was anxious she should have but suzanne protested that the young lady and her mother were by this time in bed and asleep being rational persons who at so late an hour remained tranquil and allowed others to do the same she consented however to convey betimes next day to joan a note in which sir walter explained what had happened and entreated joan to see him before he started for genoa or to let him know in some way that he was as happy as he hoped the fee that accompanied this missive softened even suzanne i gave your note to the demoiselle without fault she observed to him as he came out of his room next day in the early dawn its sad twilight together with an unusual and depressing silence rested over all the corridors as he went down with his mother to breakfast by candlelight it was a cheerless repast lady montford was afraid the tea had stood too long and sir walter was not less troubled concerning a different matter why did joan give no sign at last the bundles and trunks having all been carried out and the servants duly feed there seemed no excuse for further delay so they went forth into the clear cold air of a rosy morning but just as sir walter was about to follow his mother into the omnibus the concierge came tearing down the steps with a note in his hand for monsieur another bill cried lady Montford. how provoking never mind we can send them the money from genoa but it did not take two minutes to read please forgive me wrote joan in a villainous hand for misleading you last night it was all a mistake i cannot be your wife go on cried sir walter crushing the note up into his hand as he sprang into his place au revoir monsieur et madame cried the concierge god forbid exclaimed lady montfort it has nearly been the death of me and of you too my dear walter i never saw you look so ill as you do now mrs grant alone in her room that afternoon was more than usually miserable she had only been doing as she had done for years sacrificing the child she loved to the child she feared but perhaps because that day the victim's sufferings were more evident her torpid conscience was uncomfortably roused joan was prostrated in her room with what she called a headache and her mother suspected with anguish to be something worse as she prepared afternoon tea of which she intended to carry joan a cup the scene in her room the night before constantly recurred to her she saw joan as she first entered radiant transfigured beautified even by joy then joan as she crept away again all faded and drooping mrs grant writhed when she thought of it and yet joan had confessed after a hesitation in itself preposterous that she did not know whether she was in love with sir walter or not adding in her strange way that he was too far above her for that Perhaps this was the extravagant language of real passion, seeing that now the child seemed so heartbroken. "'And yet what could I do, what could I do?' Mrs. Grant wailed inwardly, repeating the great motto of her life. "'Belinda would have been so angry. I never should have dared to tell her.' The door opened, and Belinda entered mrs grant dropped the little china teapot on the stone hearth and broke it well really mamma you have as the boys say butterfingers said belinda but with less severe displeasure than clumsiness usually provoked from her my dear you startled me so i thought you were at nice i had no idea you were coming home to nor i said belinda taking her hat off before the glass and arranging her shining curls never mind about the pieces mamma you have another teapot on the shelf there she was evidently in high good humour and as she always did when in this sunny mood looked superbly handsome the fact is she began taking her place in a low chair by the wood fire that uh, but where is joan she is lying down "'She has a headache, a very bad headache,' added Mrs. Grant, for Belinda highly disapproved of people lying down in the daytime. Even in her present indulgent temper, she looked displeased. What has she been doing? She was all right when I left. It is a strange thing that if I ever do go from home, Joan makes herself ill in some way. Have you been allowing her to stoop over books too much?' "'Oh, no, dear.' SHE HAS BEEN READING VERY LITTLE. FOR HER. THEN SHE HAS BEEN OVERWALKING HERSELF. NO. THEN WHY HAD SHE A HEADACHE? WHEN BELINDA ASKED QUESTIONS IN THIS TONE, MRS. GRANT HAD NOT THE COURAGE TO KEEP SILENCE, ESPECIALLY IF THERE WAS ANYTHING SHE PARTICULARLY WISHED TO CONCEAL FROM HER DAUGHTER. PERHAPS, SHE SUGGESTED DESPERATELY, THE MONTFORD'S SUDDEN GOING MAY HAVE PUT HER OUT they have gone have they mamma surely that tea is ready to pour out but why should the montforts going suddenly or not make any difference to joan mrs grant had by this time been driven or to speak more correctly had herself wildly rushed into a corner from which a more self-possessed person might have found it difficult to escape as it was she did not try but trembling Confessed what had happened. I assure you, Belinda, she concluded, I never was so taken aback in all my life as when she told me he had proposed for her. I should think not. And what did you say? Oh, I told her, of course, said Mrs. Grant, visibly cheering up at the thought that at last she had something agreeable to tell Belinda. I told her, of course, that it could never be. What could never be? why their marriage do you mean to tell me said belinda slowly putting down her cup and saucer and gazing as if dazed at her mother that you told her to refuse him yes of course in heaven's name why why because I i thought belinda said mrs grant dissolving into tears i thought you would not like the marriage then belinda rose to her feet her eyes blazing her cheeks crimson her breath shortened with indignation in all her life mrs grant had never seen her daughter so angry what she cried in a voice that might have filled a theatre and with a gesture which would have electrified her audience what do you mean what do you intend to insinuate really mamma you are enough to drive one crazy here is joan who with her wretched looks and manners could hardly be expected to have ever got an offer at all is proposed to by a man with a title and a very nice place and you actually tell her to refuse him and then dare to put the blame on me i would not like the marriage indeed pray why not as if i ever wished to stand in joan's way just as if, instead of looking after her health and her interests and everything else in a way you never do, I was cruel to her or perhaps even jealous of her. A nice idea you must give people of me. I have no doubt you told Joan I would not like it, and she, of course, will go complaining and repeating all about it to everybody. Well, one thing, thank goodness, they cannot say— they cannot say i am envious of her good luck because i am going to make a much better marriage myself yes i was going to tell you if you had not flown at me in this way that i was engaged to lord denby engaged only this morning and that is another thing pray what is to become of joan lord denby being a very generous man might not object to have you live with him BUT I CANNOT EXPECT HIM TO ADOPT MY WHOLE FAMILY. THIS WAS BY NO MEANS ALL THAT BELINDA SAID, BUT IT CONTAINS THE SUM AND SUBSTANCE OF HER DISCOURSE. THE REST CONSISTED OF VARIATIONS ON THE ORIGINAL THEME. BUT THERE IS NO GOOD TALKING, SHE SAID, WITH GREAT WISDOM, AT THE CLOSE OF A KIND OF HYSTERICAL ATTACK INTO WHICH SHE HAD WORKED HERSELF, SOMETHING MUST BE DONE and you must do it, Mamma. You have got us into this scrape, and you must get us out of it. Oh! What can I do? There is only one thing to be done. You must write to Sir Walter at once. The concierge will know his address. You must write and say that it was entirely your fault that Joan refused him, and that she is really very much attached to him. Mind you make that clear, or he won't come back. HIS TOUCHINESS AND CONCEIT ARE BEYOND ANYTHING. BUT, BELINDA, WHAT REASON CAN I GIVE FOR FORBIDDING JOAN TO ACCEPT HIM? YOU CAN'T GIVE ANY. YOU KNOW QUITE WELL THERE WAS NONE. OH, WHAT WILL HE THINK OF ME? I AM SURE I DON'T KNOW. BUT HE SHALL NOT THINK I AM JEALOUS OF HIS PROPOSING TO JOAN. NOW, Mamma, HERE IS PEN, INK, AND PAPER don't sit crying there in that silly way you know you have behaved very unkindly to poor joan and the least you can do is to make amends for it as quickly as possible thus swiftly overtaken by nemesis did poor mrs grant with tears of mortification indite the letter belinda dictated and which the writer for one would give much to have seen unfortunately it is lost to the world on his journey back from genoa confused either by excess of joy or deficiency of ozone sir walter dropped mislaid in any case lost this remarkable document and when some years later his mother-in-law took courage to ask him what he thought of it and of her when he read it all that he could remember was that a more delightful letter he had never received Yes, the marriage has been a very happy one, though Lady Montford did not retire to the dower house, built, so she declares, upon a clay foundation, and Lady Denby has every reason to be satisfied with the match which, as she often observes, and not without some reason, she made for her sister at the Hôtel d'Angleterre. End of Story 1